We continue with a summer series through selected parables. This morning, reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which begins at verse 25. Let us ask the Lord, whose spirit breathed out this word, preserved it for us in holy, inerrant scripture, to breathe upon us so that our minds might be opened and our hearts receptive to, the, to his word for his glory. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us and you speak to us. We thank you for that living word, Jesus Christ, who has come into the world and for your word preserved for us in Holy Scripture and for your spirit who still today preaches the gospel through the word of Scripture. And we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. Father, conform us more nearly to the likeness of your Son in accordance with your word by the power of your Spirit. To the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ, be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The parable of the Good Samaritan may well be the most generally well-known parable of Jesus. 
Humanitarian organizations are often named with reference to the Good Samaritan. We have laws on the books that refer to the Good Samaritan. And I imagine, I assume and I imagine that that popular advertising jingle, like a good neighbor, I imagine and I assume that it was originally created with the parable of the Good Samaritan in mind. But in order for us to get the punch of the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan, in order for us to get the punch of the point of the parable, we need to understand this. That in the opinion of the Jews of Jesus' day, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. According to the Jewish perspective of Jesus' day in the first century, there simply was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Why not? Who were the Samaritans? Well, Samaria is that region in between Judea in the south, where Jerusalem is the capital, and Galilee in the north. And the, the capital of Samaria, the capital city itself, is called Samaria. And it lay about 40 miles due north of Jerusalem. Now, a little bit of history. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital city of Samaria was conquered by the Assyrians, an ancient kingdom that today would correspond to um, parts of modern-day Iraq, Iran, Turkey. Well, when the Assyrian kingdom conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, the region of Samaria, Samaria its capital, then the Assyrians moved in and took up residence there. And they established their own culture there with their own customs there and their own religious practices there. And they began to intermarry with the northern Israelites of Samaria. That was in the 8th century BC. So the Samaritans of Jesus' day were the descendants of these interracial marriages between the northern Israelites and the Gentile pagan Assyrians. Now, I know that this is a very very distasteful thing to say. And I'm saying it only, I'm saying it only to place this parable in its historical context. I'm saying it only to make the point of the perspective of the first century Jews. That Samaritans were considered to be of mixed blood. 
They were not regarded as ethnically pure Israelites. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be tainted, corrupted, paganized, and therefore the Jews treated them as unclean foreign Gentiles and would have nothing to do with them. So you see, in Jesus' day, the word Samaritan was not only a geographical reference, it was a racial slur. A racial and religious slur. Epithet. So we got to get this. In Jesus' day, the division between the Jews and the Samaritans was one of bitter animosity, racial bigotry, personal prejudice, social cultural estrangement, and religious rivalry. Because the Samaritans didn't worship in Jerusalem, they, met, they worshiped at Mount Gerizim in the north. And, for example, in Jesus' day, when Jews traveled from Judea, where Jerusalem is located, to Galilee in the north, they would not pass directly through Samaria. Oh, no. They would go up, cross over to the east, walk north outside the boundary of Samaria until they got far enough so that they could turn west and come into Galilee without ever setting foot in Samaria. Which is why it was so surprising and so controversial when Jesus traveled from Judea to Galilee. He walked straight through, due north, through Samaria. Do you remember? Do you remember Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well of Samaria, recorded in John 4? Do you remember what she said to him after he had initiated conversation with her? How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And John immediately adds the explanatory comment, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But Jesus broke all the rules, all the man-made rules. I mentioned that passage only to show you that Jesus... a first century Jew, rejected the racial bigotry, the personal prejudice, the social and cultural segregation, personal animosity against the Samaritans. So now we're ready to dive into the passage. Luke tells us that a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And the word lawyer here means an expert in the Old Testament law. He intended to put Jesus to the test, which probably means that he wanted to test Jesus' adherence 
to the law. He was fishing. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? <laughs> this is so great. But you see, the law expert intended to test Jesus, but Jesus turned the tables on him and put him to the test. Don't ever try to outsmart Jesus because you can't do it. Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're an expert in the law. You tell me. Well, now the lawyer had to answer his own question. You see, the lawyer had wanted to know what was in Jesus' head. And Jesus was now going to show the lawyer what was in his own heart. Well, the lawyer now on the spot and wanting to look good in the eyes of all as an enlightened expert answered the question, quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, this, as you know, is the summary of the Ten Commandments, the summary of the two tablets of the law. And it is, by the way, the exact same answer which Jesus gave to the scribes when they asked him, which is the great commandment? And so it was a perfectly correct answer, and Jesus told him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. Now the lawyer was really on the spot. <laughs> he had not come to Jesus to receive instruction on how to live. He, he, he had not come to Jesus sincerely in order to learn what must he do to gain, inherit eternal life. He was quite confident that he was already doing everything he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. But Jesus' response, do this and you shall live, shook him, shook his self-confidence, shook his self-righteousness, seemed to imply perhaps that he were not keeping the law of God perfectly. And therefore, Luke tells us that, now listen to this, it is written, desiring to justify himself. Desiring to justify himself, desiring to show that he in fact had kept the law perfectly. Desiring to defend himself against any suggestion that he might not be a perfect law keeper. Now, desiring to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? You see, desiring to justify himself, he was looking for a loophole in God's law, a caveat. Let's talk about this, Jesus. What's your definition of neighbor? You see, he was actually baiting Jesus, trying to draw Jesus into a debate. Don't do that. You cannot win. 
But as a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, there was a debate, an ongoing debate among the Jews over the definition of neighbor. Did it have only to do with family or extended tribal identity, family or locale of residence? (laughs) But Whatever the definition of neighbor was in their minds, it certainly did not include Gentiles, and it most certainly did not include Samaritans. And who is my neighbor? Still today, that question suggests, you see, a loophole in the law of God, a caveat, an exception. And in answer to this question, Jesus told the parable. Everyone there who heard it would have been familiar with the details of the story. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was, in fact, a dangerous one. It descends 3,300 feet over a span of 17 miles through treacherous, rocky desert desert territory in which criminals, thieves, thugs would often hide out for an ambush. It was very realistic in that detail. So it was, said Jesus, that a man fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. And a Jewish priest came by, but he, he, he passed by on the other side. Why? Well, Jesus doesn't say, but the priest in the parable probably passed by because he might have thought that the man was dead or might soon be dead. And if a priest touched a corpse, he would then be rendered ceremonially unclean for seven days and could not fulfill his priestly obligations in the temple. Or maybe he was running late for his priestly obligations in the temple and simply just didn't have time to help this half-dead man in the ditch. His duties in the temple were obviously more important than that. Who knows? He probably had lots and lots of good reason not to help the half-dead man. And The Levite came by, walked right up to the dead man, looked at him, passed by on the other side, probably for all of the same reasons, because Levites had special functions in the temple. So, two potential neighbors walked by (laughs) a half-dead potential neighbor in need, but decided that the law of God to love their neighbor as themselves did not apply to them at that time under those circumstances. And the point is that the priest and the Levite in the parable undoubtedly felt justified in the right as they passed by on the other side. But, says Jesus, a Samaritan. At this point, we might imagine the law expert's face flushing with rage or at least consternation. Now do you begin to feel the punch of the point of the parable? Jesus put a good-for-nothing Samaritan dog into the parable and made him the hero. The Samaritan had compassion on the half-dead man. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine on them. He put the victim on his own animal and took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he paid the innkeeper to take care of him and promised to cover 
all future expenses. End of story. And it leaves you with this question, could, could, uh, could, could a Samaritan be a neighbor to a Jew? Could a Jew be a neighbor to a Samaritan? Certainly not, according to the ethnic, social, cultural divisions of the day. But what about according to God's law? That's what Jesus asked the law expert. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The priest, who for the sake of not becoming ceremonially unclean, or for whatever other good reason, passed by on the other side. The Levite, who likewise, for the sake of not risking becoming ceremonially unclean, or other good reason. Or this, or this unclean, this already unclean, despised Samaritan dog, who had mercy on the man. Which one? Which of the three? Proved to be a neighbor. The lawyer answered. The one who showed him mercy. And guess what? The lawyer got that answer right too. The one who showed him mercy. But now it wasn't a matter of right answers. It was a matter of right living. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. <laughs> the lawyer hadn't counted on all that when he stood up to test Jesus. But notice... Notice Jesus' answer in the form of a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? You see, Jesus is saying this. It's not up to us to decide who is and who is not our neighbor. That's not even a question. Keeping the law of God is not about defining and deciding who is and who is not our neighbor. Keeping the law of God is about being a neighbor to everyone in our path. Doing to others what we would have them do unto us. That's loving our neighbor as ourselves by being a neighbor to all in our path. And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered that question by saying, go be a neighbor. Go and do likewise to anyone in need. Your neighbor is your fellow man created in the image of God. And who is my neighbor? That's not a question because God has already answered it. The Creator has already answered it. Your fellow man is your neighbor. 
And there are no loopholes in God's command to love our neighbor as ourselves. There are no exceptions. Now, it is true, little parenthetical insertion here, it is true that in the household of God through faith in Jesus Christ, by our adoption as God's children in Christ, we in Christ are brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore there is a special obligation for Christians to love one another in the body of Christ. Galatians 6.10, there's a special love that we share. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the word neighbor in the law of God refers to anyone, anywhere, our fellow human, across every racial, ethnic, cultural, political, and religious boundary. God's law has no limit. And, by the way, in case this needs to be clarified, the word love in the commandment to love your neighbor does not, it does not refer to warm and fuzzy feelings (laughs) or affectionate or sentimental feelings. It refers to actions Actions for the good, actions for the well-being, actions for the betterment of our neighbor. Jesus said, go and do likewise, and we are called and we are commanded by Jesus Christ to show his love and mercy to this beaten and bleeding, dying world. It is the challenge of our day. It is the challenge of our day, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is perfectly consistent with Jesus' other teachings such as love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, do to others as you would have them do to you. Why? Because that reflects the mercy and love of God which we have received through Jesus Christ. And this is consistent with the teaching of the entire New Testament. For example, in his letter to Titus, the Apostle Paul emphasizes how important it is for those who have believed in God to be careful to devote themselves to good works. Good works which include deeds of love and mercy toward neighbor. Galatians 5, 6 says that in terms of living truly as people who are justified by grace, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, quote, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, love of God, love of neighbor. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says, The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Almost 200 years ago, J.C. Ryle asked the right question. What are we doing? to prove that this mighty 
parable is one of the rules of our daily life. The world would be a happier world if there were more practical Christianity. Oh, indeed, it would, especially in our day. So are we letting our light shine so that this beaten, bleeding, half-dead, sin-sick world may see our good works of love and mercy toward neighbor and give glory to our Father in heaven? We, we who identify ourselves as Bible-believing, Christ-following, truth-affirming people, we of all people, we of all people ought to be known for our deeds of mercy and kindness in this bleeding, broken world. The prophet Micah spoke the word of the Lord. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And our orthodox doctrine must never come between us and the real needs of our neighbor, whoever that might be. Dare we look for exceptions, loopholes to God's law? No. Instead, let us look for opportunities. That's what we ought to be looking for. Let's look. Let's look for opportunities, for ways to love our neighbor, our unknown neighbor, the neighbor who doesn't live near us, the neighbor who doesn't look like us. And the neighbor who wouldn't even expect it. Surprise someone. Let's try it. Surprise someone this week. Surprise, surprise someone, an unknown neighbor, with a demonstration of the love and mercy and kindness of Jesus Christ. And as Bible-believing, Christ-following, truth-affirming people, let's never, ever forget why. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Under the law of God, under the commandments to love the Lord with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and to love my neighbor as myself, I stand condemned. I need mercy. I cannot justify myself. I need someone who will come to me and pour oil and wine onto the mortal wounds of my sinful nature, who will pick me up and carry me as his own burden to a place of healing, and who will pay, fully pay, the price for my salvation, body and soul at his own expense. I need mercy. And I need not just a good Samaritan. I need the Holy Son of God, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that, that is our point of identity with everyone else in this world that we meet. Every neighbor near and far. We all need the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And if we have received that mercy, how can we do otherwise than to extend it to others in Jesus' name 
for the glory of God. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now let's not debate with Jesus. Let's obey him. And to God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful love poured out to us through your wonderful Son, Jesus Christ, in whom alone is our salvation. We thank you that he is the human embodiment of wisdom, holiness, goodness, justice, power, mercy, and love. We cast ourselves upon him, and we pray that your Spirit, by the truth of your Word, will conform us more nearly into his likeness, to the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius